Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. That was good, right? Can we give him another round of applause for that? That was an amazing telling of the good work that God has done for us. I don't know if you ever had a moment when you looked around in the world or in your community or in your family or in your own life and felt like in all of the mess in this world, where is God? And why, have you ever heard this question, why does a good God allow hard things or bad things to happen? In moments like these, we are reminded that God has given us hope in dark times, that God has not just allowed things to happen, but he's given us a hope that exceeds these amazing things that are happening in this world. He's given us an awesome, big, vast hope. And over the last few days, we've been exploring the life of Jesus. We talked about him being in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross to die for our sins. We then talked about him standing up in a synagogue and reading the scriptures from Isaiah 61, where he read about being filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could come and give freedom to the captive and comfort to those who mourn. And he said in the synagogue that day, the scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. And last night we talked about how Jesus was uh, baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him and didn't just leave. The Holy Spirit came upon him and rested upon him. And then Jesus was then sent to people in hard places. And we talked about his encounter with the woman at the well and how she was a woman who Jesus should not have culturally or by the means of society had encountered. But he didn't care. He broke all of those social norms to encounter her in her grief and to transform her life. And tonight we continue with this great moment and story of hope of how Jesus has taken the same efforts and the same power and the same sacrifice to meet you where you are. Many times when we think about faith, when we think about the issues of this world, when we want to know who Christ is, we think, Jesus, what are you going to provide to get me away from the problems and the brokenness of this world? I want to challenge you with this thought tonight. What if it's not just escaping the hardships of life? What if Jesus' sacrifice was so that you could fulfill everything he always had for you? What if he didn't save you just to be mediocre? What if he saved you to be abundant in the life that he has for you? We read the verses in Isaiah 61, and we already discussed how Jesus came to speak to the poor and to bring freedom to the captive and how to grieve, to bring comfort to those who mourn. But in verse 3, it says this, He came to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. All of those words that are being described, a crown, an oil, a garment, are all what are thought of for royalty. When someone becomes a king or a queen, they often are anointed, then they're given a robe, a garment of royalty, and then a crown is placed on their head. Jesus did not come just to keep us from bad things, but to propel us forward into the fullness of all he has for us. The word bestow means to give a gift or an honor. Remember a few nights ago, we had a bag from Amazon and it had some Skittles in it. And we learned that night that all Skittles taste the same. Remember that? (laughs) 
Talk to your counselors. Talk to your counselors to, to really remind you of the deep lesson we had that all Skittles taste the same. But one of the things I said at the end of that was to taste and see that the Lord is good and to not just focus on our mess, but to focus on the goodness that God has for us. I want to encourage you that Christ came not just to take us from freedom, but to make us welcome, welcomed into his royal family. That is a good story. I want to tell you about a woman named Esther. Show of hands if you've ever heard of Esther from the scriptures, if you've heard of her. I'm going to tell you about Esther. There's actually a whole book in the Bible just about this young girl, young woman named Esther. It tells us that Esther had a father, and her father had a cousin named Mordecai. Now, Esther's parents died, and Mordecai took Esther as his own child. So what that really means is that Esther was an orphan who was brought in by a family member and said, I will treat you and raise you as my own daughter. Now, when I think about Esther, because the scriptures are about human, human people and God working in people's lives, when I think about Esther and what could have possibly come to her mind as an orphan is, where is God? If God is so good, then where are my parents? If God is so good, then why is my life so hard? And I don't want you to raise your hand, but if you've ever asked that question in your own mind, raise your hand, in your own mind, raise your hand. I know when I was your age, I asked that question over and over and over again. Where is God? So Esther is adopted by this man named Mordecai, and to make the story short, at some point this orphan who felt isolated, who maybe even felt abandoned, who maybe even felt invisible by God, at some point becomes a queen. Now I told you what queens and kings get. They get a crown, they get anointed, and they get a garment like a robe that makes them royal. Esther receives all those things and becomes a queen. And what is pretty amazing that now she is queen. She went from being an orphan to being a queen. And at some point, she's living life. Life is good. She's no longer abandoned. She's no longer isolated. She's no longer invisible. She is living life. And that's what life is all about. It's about finally making it and arriving. And Esther arrives, and then something happens. Her people group are at danger of being killed. Her uncle who adopted her comes to her and says, Esther, I know you're living the good life. I know that you came from being an orphan to being a queen, and there's some amazing things that happen in your life. Esther, I know that you're finally walking in all that you longed for. But I need you to risk all of that, to go before the king, even though you know you're not supposed to, and to do something to save your people, Esther. And he says these words, maybe God put you into this position for a time such as this. And Esther does it. She goes to the king, which back in those days, you were not supposed to go to the king unless the king called you. But Esther went anyway, and she could have been killed by going to the king's presence without being called. And she goes and she advocates for her people, and her people are saved. What Esther didn't fully realize is that she went from orphan to queen, but God wasn't done with her yet. God didn't just want to save her from being isolated. He then took the same person who was once not seen and used her to help a whole people group be seen. What I have learned in the hardships of life is that God has the power and the ability to take all of our pain and mess and somehow use it for his glory. He can take all of the mess and somehow use it for his glory. I've experienced this personally in my own life. I told, I met Ben a couple of days, uh, two nights ago, and I told Ben, my name is George Adam Hopkins Jr. Anybody want to guess what my dad's name is? 
Y'all are on point tonight. Y'all are keeping up with me. My, I'm a junior, but the hard part for me growing up is that my dad wasn't around. And so I struggled with this idea that my dad wasn't around. And as I got older, I began to learn about who my dad was because I could follow him online because he had done some bad things. So he was in the criminal justice system. And I remember struggling looking at my dad's picture online and realizing I looked just like him and realizing I had his name and realizing that his blood flowed through my veins. What good could I do in my identity if I'm just like my dad? I struggled with that. And then I had a, my mom had a boyfriend who lived with us who was not the best boyfriend in the world at all. He was actually, he made my life miserable. And I got older, and I told you guys that this Saturday we're celebrating five years as a church, and I went back into the community because I wanted to go back to where I came from to tell people about a good, good God who comes to set people free, who comes to comfort those who mourn. And I went back to love on my community. And one of the things I did not expect is that while I was back in my community, one night leaving Bible study, Walking down the street with my family, I crossed paths with my mom's ex-boyfriend who made my life miserable from the age of 9 to 18. And I was willing to love every single person in that neighborhood except him. He made my life miserable. But I remember when I first saw him, my heart was challenged. I said, Lord Jesus, how can you call me back to this neighborhood? And now he lives here. It was a few minutes away from where I grew up. Now he lives in the neighborhood where you called me to build a church. I thought you saved me. I thought you changed me. And now I'm going to love other people. And the Lord was saying, I want you to know more of what my love is. And I began to love the man who once hurt me. And I'll never forget the day that he came to me one day. He says, you know what, George? You turned out to be a great man and a great husband, and a great father. And in my mind, I thought, no thanks to you. But I didn't say that. But at this moment, Jesus had worked in my heart. But I began to realize, how can I love this man in a way he's never been loved? I want to encourage you that God has the ability, the power, to take all of the mess in our life and flip it upside down and use it for healing. And what I've learned in the midst of that transformation is that when I encounter Jesus Christ, he makes me new. And this is what I love. That even if I look at myself and say, who can I ever be if I have my dad's name, my dad's blood flowing through my veins? The Bible says this, that we need to be born again. That God sends his spirit and he makes us born again, not physically, but spiritually. What I began to realize is once I put my faith in Jesus Christ, he spiritually makes me new. And I have a new birth that is no longer determined by where I was born or who was my physical or physical mom or dad. That I realize that when Christ makes me new again, I am actually born in the royalty of who God is. And then wherever I go, can you fathom this? Wherever I go, wherever you go, you represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want you to hear this amazing thing that Jesus said, I have come to take ashes and give them a crown of beauty. I have come to give them an oil of joy rather than great grief. I have come to give them a garment of praise rather than despair. All the parts of ashes, despair, anybody knows what those things are usually for? They're usually for grieving a funeral. In the Old Testament, when someone died, you would put ashes. Anybody ever hear of um, Palm Sunday, when you go and you get the cross, and you get what, what do they use to put the cross on your forehead? Ashes. It's a mark of death. And Jesus has come and said, all of you who are spiritually dead, 
who have ashes. I want to take that death, and I not only want to just give you life, I actually want to give you life of royalty. I want to place a crown upon your head. And so the desire isn't just, Lord, save me from my problems. The desire is, Lord, I want to walk in all that you have for me. And what I've learned, what I've known about Christ is this. There is nothing in this world that can take away from you what God has already placed upon your soul. Will you trust him to take those marks of death to lead you into a place of life? Will you trust him to exchange your ashes and return to receive the beauty of his crown? I told you guys that most times when I speak, I like to speak very short, and tonight will be another brief moment. I want to end with just a couple of thoughts I want you to meditate on, think about as we kind of end our time tonight in the scripture. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider when God created you in your mother's womb, what do you think came to his mind when he created you? Just think about that. Just imagine it. If you've never thought about it before, imagine it beyond like even your, your greatest imagination, even beyond that. Think about what amazing things do you believe came to God's mind when he thought about you? Because what I've learned is that when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and we put our trust in him, his desire is for us to walk fully in all that he created us for. I'm going to tell you a story of Gideon, one of my favorite people in the scriptures. I'm going to do this again. Show of hands. Who's heard of Gideon before? It's a great name, and a guy named Gideon is in the book of, of uh, Judges. And I love Gideon because this is what the Bible says about Gideon. Here's Gideon's people group, and his people group were like the bottom, okay? They, they, they were like the least respected of the times. And of his people group, Gideon's family was at the bottom of his people group. Y'all with me? And of his family, guess who was at the bottom of the family? Gideon. When I played college football, my coach would call that whale pool, which is basically you can't get much lower than that. Gideon is all the way down here. And the Bible tells us this. It tells us that Gideon's people were being bullied, that whenever they had a harvest, that a whole other people group would come and take their harvest. If you can't understand that, it's like this. It's as if somebody took your lunch money every time you went to school. Every time you went to school, you had money in your pocket. Somebody knew you had lunch money, and they came to you and said, give me your lunch money. And you just gave it to them. Every single day that happened. Every single day that happened. And so that would happen to Gideon's people because they were weak and vulnerable. And it says one day Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? One day Gideon was threshing in a... He was threshing in a... Why y'all think he was doing that? He was scurred. Because if the people know I have wheat, they're going to come and take it. So what he decided to do is I'm going to take my wheat. I'm going to take it to a wine press where grapes belong because nobody will look for wheat here. So Gideon's natural response was to protect himself. He was in an act of cowardice. And the the Bible tells us this in the book of Judges, that while he was threshing wheat in the wine press, the angel of the Lord appears before Gideon. God encounters Gideon, and he calls him by name, but he doesn't call him a coward in what he was doing. God encounters Gideon and says this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Can you imagine how Gideon would respond? Do you see what I'm doing? I'm threshing wheat 
in the wine press because I'm scared. And you're telling me two things that I don't understand. You're telling me that God is with me, then where is he? And you're telling me I'm a mighty warrior. I would encourage you to read the second half of Gideon's story because who God called him to be, he becomes. But I want you to hear this, that God always calls us as he's created us to be. So even if you're here and you feel distant, if you're here and you feel like you don't believe in God, if you're here and you feel like you're unworthy of God, when God sees you, he doesn't even allow your situation to define you. He calls you by the name he's created you to fulfill. He still looks at you and says, my beloved daughter, And my beloved son, if you're ready to hear tonight, I would love to let you know how much I love you. He looks at you and say, look at my strong people. Look at the person of faith. Even if you're not there yet, that's who God calls us to be. I remember it was a weekend, kind of like you have this week. I went to a conference and I encountered Christ. He encountered me. And remember, I've been looking for the Lord my whole life and all my struggles I've been through. I always ask this question, if God loves me, why is my life so hard? If God loves me, then where is he? And I had this encounter with Jesus, this personal, deep and real encounter. And I asked the first question, like, Lord, where you been this whole time then? If what that person's saying is true, then where have you been? And instantly I had these pictures of some of my hardest moments. And images of Jesus being there with me. One in particular, I remember I, I left my house one night because life at home with my mom's boyfriend was so bad. It was so bad. I just said, man, forget it. I'm leaving. And I walked out into my community, and my community was very violent. It's a community called Cherry Hill in South Baltimore, and it wasn't safe. And it's was at night, and I'm a teenager, and I walk out, and the only place I knew to go that I could be safe was the steps of my church. And I slept at the steps of my church that night. And many years later, when I encountered Jesus, he took me back to that moment. He says, George, I've always been there. I've always been present. And those moments that hurt you deeply hurt me. But I am so powerful that I'm ready to transform you, and I'm ready to bring healing to your grief. I'm ready to take those moments of death and ashes, and I'm ready to crown you. Will you receive it? Because, George, everything you experience is telling you that there's nothing else, but I'm telling you I have so much more for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe that what you've experienced so far is not enough? That God has so much more for you. Some of us are holding on to some ashes that remind us of all that has died in our lives, and we're remembering all that we've lost. That could be physically, it could be emotionally, it could be mentally, it could be personal. We're holding on to ashes and saying, do you see the ashes I have? The Lord sees them. He actually has his pierced hands saying, give them to me because I've already died for you. Place those ashes of death in my hand. I've died for you. And I want to give you the life that I earned for you when I was resurrected from the grave. 
When you hold on to those ashes, they remind you and define for you why you can stay distant from God and why you can promise that there's nothing more for you in life. I'm encouraging you to lay those ashes into the hands of Christ, the pierced hands of Christ, because he's saying to you, I have life that you've never tasted before. I went to the depths of death and I was resurrected from the grave. His hands are pierced and he's saying, give me your ashes of death. that I may give you eternal life. This is the hope we have in Jesus. Is that someone who never sinned died for our sins. That someone who did not deserve to die went to death and was resurrected and now offers us this life and all he asks of us is that we would believe. Believe that he died for us. Here's the last thought I want to share with you tonight. I can look at every single chair and imagine the purpose that God has for you. The men that he wants to create you to be. The woman. The impact he wants to have through you. The love he wants you to know that you are loved. The beauty the strength. I can look at every single one of you, and I want you to hear this, that the invitation that Christ offers us is not just deliverance from our problems. It is deliverance toward the promises he has for us. I don't know about you, but I want everything, every good thing, every promise that the Lord has in mind for me, I want it. And what ashes do in our lives is it calls us to forfeit and say, there's nothing more for me. What wounds do in our lives, it says, there's nothing more for me. What captivity does in my life, it says, there's nothing more for me. What mourning does in my life, it says, there's nothing more for me. And it causes you to forfeit all that Christ died for for you. I want you to hear this. When you give your life to Christ, it's not just this moment, but I want you to be greedy. I want you to want as many Skittles as you want. I want you to be greedy and say, Lord Jesus, I want everything that you had in mind for me. When you died for me, I want it all. We're going to give you a few moments. We would usually go outside and give you moments to just be still and be quiet, hear what the Lord might be speaking to you and allow you to respond. But because of the weather, we're going to do it here. You can stay in your seat and have a moment of quiet. If you need to talk to your counselor, you can do that. We also want to make the whole room available for you. So if you want to find your own space to sit down, or to stand up, whatever it might be for you. I want to give you time to just be still and hear what the Lord has for you. Hear what the Lord has for you. I'm going to pray for us, and once I'm done praying, we're going to start that moment of quiet, and then when that time ends, someone will come up here and end that time and give you some next steps after that. But just listen for what the Lord says about you, what he has for you, and respond to that voice. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that our lives are not defined by the ashes that we've seen or experienced. I thank you that our lives are not defined even by the good works we've done that seems to always fall short. And we've placed things in our own hands and it seems like things don't ever become what we always desire them to be. Thank you that you've given us a greater hope
I thank you that you've given us a hope that we don't have to wait for one day, but that we can taste and experience right now. I ask that you would give us a hunger for the fullness of life that you have died and was resurrected to give us. I ask that you would speak to your children, that you would remind them in their minds and hearts in this time of quiet. Remind them of who you've created them to be. Remind them of the life that you have come to give them that they may live it abundantly. And may the ashes they hold, may it shrink in its value. May they place it into your pierced hands and receive the salvation of life that you have freely given to them. I ask now that you would tonight bestow upon some the crown of beauty, the oil of joy, and a garment of praise. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.